You're listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business. Your host, Tom Mayonet. A big shifting of the seasons in North American professional sport marked by a North American Major League Sports Equinox that was Monday night. Monday night was only the 30th time in history and only the ninth time in history, only the 30th time for the big four. But when you throw in Major League Soccer, the junior at the table so far, but showing great growth, you add MLS, well, Monday night marked the first time that you had the sports equinox with all five leagues having games on the same day. NFL Monday Night Football, uh, uh, World Series Baseball, NBA and NHL regular season, and MLS Cup playoffs in Seattle. That all happened on the Sports Equinox Day that was Monday. And this is part of the only 7-10 to day period each year in which all five major North American leagues are operating at the same time, uh, uh, are in play, so to speak. And that, of course, is anchored on the World Series. Now the World Series is over and out. The Texas Rangers are World Series champions, uh, having eliminated the Arizona Diamondbacks in five games. Uh, They were split coming out of Arlington, coming out of $1.2 billion Globe Life Field. And they wound up sweeping the Diamondbacks at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. Five games. We'll get into this, of course. Not great for the TV ratings because you never were able to even get to the games six and seven, which are the hollowed ground of television ratings because you you drive so many casual sports fans coming in at that stage of the game. It's a busy week. We've got the hour show here uh, this hour to to prove it. Uh, we're going to be um, hearing from Ken Reed of Sportsnet. You know him, of course, uh, uh, as part of the Sportsnet family anchoring Central, uh, uh, typically with Ivanka Osmak. Uh, you know him as a sportscaster. Uh, you might know him as well as an author. Of course, uh, he has a new book coming out called Hometown Hockey Heroes. But uh, some of you might not know that he's also a collector. He is an avid trading card collector, and he's uh, gone to uh, the Internet era being one of the real go-to personalities in the hobby. Uh, We'll hear from Ken Reed of Sportsnet coming up this hour as well. Also, uh, uh, John Festinger uh, joins us, giving us his take on some of the legal issues that the National Hockey League are sort of stumbling across in terms of uh, due process and how to better protect players and just the number of of things coming up over these past couple of weeks. It's been a very busy couple of weeks uh, in hockey operations and in public relations for the National Hockey League. We'll, We'll get into that as well. So a lot of ground to, uh, to cover uh, starting off with our fast podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week, here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. 
In the bronze medal position on our fast podium funded by Alpine Credits, Mike McDaniel, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are kicking off NFL's Sunday for week nine, and they're doing so from Deutsche Bank Stadium in Frankfurt, Germany. And he gave us a funny hello earlier this week. Guten Tag. Oh, sorry. Hello. Been in Germany for a while. <laughs> and they have been in Germany for a while. Very different approaches taken by the Dolphins, um, who arrived six days out, and the Kansas City Chiefs arriving two days out. Now, from a um, a time zone adjustment point of view and a sport medicine, sports science side of things, the Dolphins sure seem to be under head coach Mike McDaniel uh, following the best protocol. Uh, typically, Every hour in a time zone shift needs another day to recuperate. The Dolphins, or at least to adjust to that new body clock, the Dolphins should have a three or four day advantage uh, in the adjustment. We'll see how it translates on the field. Uh, this is all about the most aggressive marketing push in NFL history. They've been investing a lot in the UK uh, with games at now two different of the iconic London stadiums, uh, Tottenham uh, Stadium and, of course, uh, Wembley. Uh, Before that, a lot of games in London. Uh, Last year, they were in Munich, Germany. Now this year, they're in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, They've got plans in Mexico and certainly ultimately plans to bring uh, an NFL regular season game to Canada. You'd have to think Think that would be in Toronto, and uh, the real question is just uh, 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 stadium selection and it being considered appropriate for the National Football League. In the silver medal position, a number two sport business story of the week: Jamal Myers represented a big talking point this week on neck guards. It's one of the many issues that puts the NHL in the silver medal position. I see it similarly to the conversation I had my entire career with family members wondering why I wouldn't wear a visor. How could you possibly not wear a visor? And looking back, it seems silly to be standing in front of the net with slap shots coming from Al McInnes with having no facial facial gear in front of you. I understand that. The problem is players are so used to their routine. They're so stuck in their mentality of this is going to affect me that they're going to use the excuse of discomfort, but it's more about this is what I've been used to. This is how it's been. So I think you're right, Luke, in the sense that if you get the kids to wear them through junior into AHL, into the National Hockey League, they will start to wear them. But you may, you're going to have to grandfather it in. I don't think you'll ever be able to negotiate with the NHLPA, even though it appears to be the right decision. That is Jamal Myers on neck guards. Uh, Of course, uh, it gets complicated at the highest levels of the game. There's been immediate response at the lower levels of the game from the grassroots and in the CHL, but it's going to take some time from an NHL point of view, given the collective bargaining agreement, given NHL PA versus NHL. But to me, this deserves as fast adoption 
as possible, uh, especially given TJ Oshie's comments about how after a couple of games, uh, he won't even realize it's there. At least that's his view. Uh, what a week, what a couple of weeks for the National Hockey League. A concern expressed by Michael Andlauer, owner of the Ottawa Senators, as to um, him not having full disclosure as to potential outcomes on the whole of Jenny uh, Dadunov, um uh, 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 trade where Pierre Dorian is uh, said to have not fully disclosed no trade clauses uh, that is against NHL regulations. We had pride take from a couple of weeks ago, the NHL shooting itself in the foot, you know, again, the NHL as we said last week on this show, getting their head around social marketing uh, and causing unnecessary PR damage. Uh, a lot of things going on. And of course, the Shane Pinto 41 game suspension. Uh, welcome to the National Hockey League, uh, Michael Andlauer. In the gold medal position, our number one sport business story of the week. It is the Texas Rangers winning the World Series, but doing so in front of the smallest World Series audience in history. The Rangers are World Series champions. The 2 2. Marte. Strike three called. And the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. No question, big moment for the Texas Rangers. Certainly a big deal for the franchise. It's their first in 63 years, their first ever championship. They were founded back in uh, back 63 years ago, and it took Bruce Bochy and a massive investment of um, uh, $500 million over the course of the uh, uh, the, the long term uh, on free agents, uh, Corey Seager, uh, um, also former Toronto Blue Jay, Marcus Simeon. Uh, they went for the juggler in a big way. Now, I still believe developing from a long-term point of view is the way to go, but the Texas Rangers are going to be emulated here by other franchises wanting to get back into it. Now, it doesn't work out for everybody. Just ask the New York Mets. Just ask the New York Yankees this year. It does not work out just because you go hard core to the bank. It doesn't always work out. We're going to get into a lot more of these stories with John Festinger later this hour here on the sport market, but we're also going to get to our bulls and bears. It's time for the bulls and bears of sports business. Winners and losers in the business of sports. The fast rising stocks and the ones who fall in. It's little surprise that the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights are off to such a great start. They headline our Bulls of the Week on our Bulls and Bears. They're 10-0-1 for 21 points at the top of the Pacific Division, Western Conference, and the NHL overall. It's also not a stretch to see the Boston Bruins at 9-0-1 and the New York Rangers at 8-2. What is, however, one of the hottest talking points in the league is that the Rick Tockett coach Vancouver Canucks are in the top five in the NHL at 7-2-1 for 15 of a possible 20 points points going into Hockey Night in Canada this weekend. It makes Rogers Arena a bull market this week, especially with the 7-1-1 Dallas Stars in town for that Hockey Night in Canada matchup at Rogers Arena. 
Bragging rights don't mean too much so early in the season, but don't tell Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini or Dallas Stars owner Tom Gallardi that. Their ownership rivalry is one of the more intriguing hockey business storylines this weekend. Meanwhile, the 7-1 and Philadelphia Eagles continue to be the pace setter in the NFL, just ahead of five clubs at 6-2. and two. The surprising Detroit Lions in the NFC and the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC. The featured matchup this weekend, of course, we've been talking about it. It pits the Dolphins against the Chiefs early Sunday at Deutsche Bank Park in Frankfurt, home of the Eintracht Frankfurt franchise in the Bundesliga. It is the... Uh, anyway, it, it's the first American football in Frankfurt since NFL Europe shut down in 2007, and it's the first of two consecutive games there this month. It's also part of an increasingly aggressive approach to global marketing by the NFL, especially in Germany and the UK. Yet nobody had a better week in the business of sport than Corey Seager and the Texas Rangers, who took out the Diamondbacks in five to win their first World Series in that 62 years of franchise history. And of course, in the process, Corey Seager joining the exclusive company of, check this out, Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Reggie Jackson as the only other players to win two World Series. Despite Seager's heroics, though, let's get to our Bears of the Week. World Series TV audiences were at an all-time low, but there was plenty of losing to go around this past week. Sharp logo and jersey kit aside, the San Jose Sharks continued to look embarrassingly bad in the early going of this NHL season. After 10 games, they've lost every time, with only one of those going to overtime. Not only are the Sharks holders of the worst record in the NHL at this point this season, they're also looking like one of the weakest teams in league history. Yet the Ottawa Senators and owner Michael Andlauer have arguably suffered even more pain during the transition from October into November. Ottawa General Manager Pierre Dorian was fired this week for his sloppiness on the Evgeny Dadunov trade last year. But the loss of a first-round draft pick for violating disclosure protocols sure seemed out of whack. That's particularly so given that the NHL itself failed to disclose this case and its potential outcome when Andlauer was doing his final due diligence on buying the Sens last spring. That's clearly poor form for the NHL on such an important transaction. It's yet another case where the league's own sloppiness, foot dragging, and lack of transparency are at the root cause of a questionable and badly handled administration of punishment. We're getting get into more of that with John Festinger from a sports law point of view later this hour. But next up, we're going to be joined by Ken Reed of Sportsnet. We had a chance to interview him for Pastime Radio, the collectible show. That's next right here on the sport market where we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the sport market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. Fournette, he is going to throw it to Brady. Oh, and Brady slips and is picked up by Tariq Woolen. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, boy. The Bucks were moving. Don't worry, Tom Brady hasn't come out of retirement yet again, but that was from last year's Germany Except uh, regular season game, Germany showcase in Munich, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady against the Seattle Seahawks. This year, 
i.e. this Sunday, tomorrow, it is Frankfurt. Deutsche Bank Park in Frankfurt will be hosting a showdown, a very intriguing AFC showdown between two six and two teams, the Miami Dolphins and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. It's all part of NFL really going to the next level in its global marketing. And make no mistake, you're going to see traction in Germany that will put it almost on an even playing field with UK, despite the longer term investment there over the last few years. And it's also relevant from a sport business point of view this weekend uh, when it comes to the CFL. Now, the CFL is doing the right thing by moving to Saturday playoff games, even if there was just a three-window NFL Sunday. But with four windows tomorrow, beginning early Eastern time uh, on, on the Sunday with the Dolphins and the Chiefs, make no mistake, it is the right play. There'd be just way too much dilution um, to retain CFL fans and retain football fans to watch the CFL games, two of them in addition to four NFL broadcast windows. So again, CFL is doing the right thing. Uh, Pick your poison. They're going up against uh, National Hockey League. But the key on these kinds of things is who is your audience? And your audience is football fans. That's why going Saturday to avoid the traffic jam that is NFL Sunday is the right play. Ken Reed is one of the more popular broadcasters in Canada. Certainly uh, great chemistry on Sportsnet Central with Ivanka Osmak and really everybody that he works with. He's also not just a broadcaster, he's an author and he's a collector in the hobby. We had a chance to check in with Ken Reed on Pastime Radio, the collectible show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, to talk about what inspired his latest book, hometown hockey heroes well i grew up in a small town and the nhl was a long way away but my original hockey heroes aside from the montreal canadians were the picto mariners they were a junior c team in my town of 5,000. i could not go to the montreal forum to see Guy Lafleur, but i could walk over down the hill to my local arena the hector arena and i could see the picto mariners win four straight Nova Scotia Junior C championships. And my favorite player was a guy named Teapot. He was number eight, Dana Johnson. They called him Teapot. And he is still the local legend in town. Like, he's the, like, he, he was the guy that scored all the goals when he needed one. And, uh, you know, he's the best fisherman in town. He's the best golfer in town. So I thought, man, that's, it's so cool to be like a local legend like that. This guy had a huge impact on me, even though he didn't make the NHL. He's kind of the hero of the town. And I thought, there's got to be other guys like him around. Like, I can't be the only guy that just went and watched my local junior team or senior team, and they were my heroes, as opposed to just, you know, looking up to, like, a Pavel Bure or a Wayne Gretzky. So I threw it out there on Twitter, you know, who's who's your local legend? He never made it to the NHL, but everybody still loves. And all these names came flying at me. And uh, I narrowed it down to about 17, 18 guys. I got a book out of it. Uh, we go into every Canadian province. And it was uh, it was just an absolute blast to to find out that there's people there's people in the book who went to lengthy NHL careers who speak about you know being inspired by guys who just you know played senior hockey in their town or or junior hockey in their town. 
We're talking to Ken Reed for another couple of minutes here on Pastime Radio, the collectible show. Uh, do you already, ha- I know you're obviously early stages, you're celebrating the completion of Hometown Hockey Heroes. You've got this mm-hmm. signing sessions uh, lined up at the Toronto Sport Card Expo uh, next weekend. Uh, do you already have sort of another idea or two as to your next book, your next hockey book or your next sports book? Yeah, I'm getting there. Um I, depending on the success of this one, and it's been very successful so far, I could see doing a follow-up to it because the stories are kind of endless because every town has that guy I discovered, right? Like, we always heard in hockey, you know, oh, this I would have made it if, or this guy would have made it if, and I kind of flipped it around, and I said, well, maybe they did make it, but just in a different way. You know, you can still have a huge impact on people even though you're not in the NHL. So I think this could end up being a series. So if it, if it did, I think that would be a lot of fun because it was – it was fun to put together and kind of play detective because these aren't stories that are have been told many times before. So if, if I ended up doing another one of these books, uh, a part two, I'd be very happy. I might have asked you this last time we talked, but your favorite trading card of all time that you have in your, in your possession and then mm-hmm. the most coveted card of all time that you yeah. don't have but you'd love to have? I'm sure everybody says this, but it's my original Gretzky rookie that I've had since I was a kid, 79.80. So that'd be the first, my favorite one in my possession. And the one I'd want that I don't have would be a 51-52 Parker's Gordie Howe. I've come close a couple times, so I'd like to get my hands on one of those. So we'll see. We'll see if maybe I find the right one at the, at the Expo next week. You never know. I was yeah, just about to be there. I can tell you that. I was just about to say when you're finished uh, some of your uh, uh, book signing sessions, you can sort of maybe get on the hunt for that Gordie Howe. Uh, any any yeah. other cards that have always fascinated you? Well, you know what? I, I can't be specific, but I think I've always been fascinated by common cards. And because I don't think there's any such thing as a common card. There's a common price for common cards, but they all have a story. So I like going through boxes and just kind of looking at every card and wondering what's going on in that card and what, what was going on in that player's mind. So I don't like just discarding ca- cards. Like when I see people go through the new stuff and just look for hits, right? I'm like, look at all those cards. They're just kind of disregarding. There's stories on those cards. So for me, it's not always about the value, but... Uh, I've I've always had a soft spot for like seventy nine eighty to eighty eighty one that kind of era eighty four eighty fives so I've always loved those but uh, yeah I've just I, I've always been fascinated by all of them and I'm all of them so yeah I, I don't like just kind of passing them over when I'm looking through them. That is Ken Reed of Sportsnet. On uh, this weekend's edition of Pastime Radio, the collectible show, talking about his favorite cards, but also talking about hometown hockey heroes, his latest book. Next up, more on the National Hockey League, Major League Baseball, and the NFL, because they all in different ways are on the podium of our top three sport business stories of the week. That's next, right here, as we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Manette. Down in a one. Grounds one Texas takes the lead. Seager's in to score. Carter stopped at third. And after six innings without a hit, three. 
Chicago. You have to feel for the Arizona Diamondbacks because that was a terrific performance by Gallon. They're taking them no hit into the seventh before they not only took a one nothing lead, but then uh, put an exclamation mark on it, wound up winning 5 nothing. Texas Rangers winning their first ever World Series championship. Certainly, uh, that's a big story in and of itself, especially given the uh, very clear plan that uh, 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 Ray Davis, the owner of the Texas Rangers and the Rangers front office had, and that was they weren't going to build over six to nine years. They weren't even going to do three to five. They wanted to strike faster, and they did so with a remarkable investment in free agents. Uh, you know, $560 million doled out uh, to the likes of Corey Seager, the former L.A. Dodger World Series MVP, now one of only four players in history to win two World Series MVPs, uh, joining Bob Gibson, uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, and Sandy Koufax, which is quite the rarefied company for Corey Seager to be a part of. Uh, former Toronto Blue Jay Marcus Simeon, part of that as well. And that basically was the fast track. And don't underestimate the importance of bringing on board Bruce Bochy as manager. Three previous World Series championships as manager of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, it's not just the players, because remember, a year ago, or two years ago, they're just winning, uh, last year they're winning 68 games. And that was with Seeger and, and Simeon. It also takes chemistry. It takes a manager pressing all the right buttons. And he certainly did that in this postseason. Uh, the Rangers were uh, arguably the closest thing to a juggernaut, especially tough to play on the road. Uh, they, they took out the Diamondbacks in five championship and make no mistake i mean i personally still think long-term play and development is the best way to build a winning product but there's going to be big spending deep-pocketed owners looking at what the rangers did here and they'll be even more predisposed they'll they'll look to emulate the texas rangers and and you know a lot of fans saying in other markets look what the rangers did in in basically a three-year turnaround and they're World Series champions. Why can't you do the same? Now, it, it rarely works out the way it has for the Texas Rangers. Just ask the New York Mets. Just ask the New York Yankees this year. Uh, just ask other teams uh, that have got massive payroll. The Chicago Cubs didn't make the playoffs uh, either. And again, give the Rangers credit where credit's due. Nobody can take this World Series away from them. But for long-term sustainability, I still like the odds of developing through the farm, developing through solid long-term planning, careful contracts, uh, uh, smart trades at the right time, and, and, and managing a very strong set of assets in your minor league system. When it comes to the... The big reason why the World Series is on the podium, of course, it's because it's also the least watched World Series in history, uh, averaging about 9 million 
Americans. And as some have pointed out on Twitter, you know, that's obviously a disappointment for Major League Baseball to be, you know, less than 10 million where they just a few years ago before the pandemic were in the 14, 15 million uh, range, especially with bigger market teams. And to be fair, as sports professor Rick Horrell pointed out on an earlier hour of the sport market, one of our two national hours here in the Sportsnet Radio Network, you didn't have Chicago, L.A. or New York, any of those teams uh, in the World Series uh, for the first time in a long time. I mean, most of the last decade, you've had at least one, if not two, and sometimes all three of those markets in the postseason. But at a certain point, you know, this is not MLB needing to throw in the towel. I, I believe that and, and MLB just needs to continue to do what it's doing. I think that it had a very good regular season, up 7% uh, uh, and 10% respectively in terms of TV audiences and uh, attendance at major league ballparks. So it's not as if this was a disastrous season because the World Series TV ratings were disastrous. One of the reasons why they're disastrous is it didn't get to a Game 6 or a Game 7, which is where most of your gravy comes because that's when you get casual sports fans coming to the table. Games 1 to 4 and maybe even 5 is typically hardcore fans. But you only move the needle once you get to that larger audience of casual sports fans who are hooked by something that looks pretty entertaining. And entertaining is getting to game six or game seven. The other thing is routes, one-sided games, are absolute buzz killers for ratings, especially the way that it happened in this World Series where there was a 10 nothing lead by the Rangers in the third inning. Click, 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 click. You, you see people just vacating in a hurry with a 10-run deficit. Now, yes, the Diamondbacks came back, and it wound up being 11-7. There was a little bit of interest at the end. But that's the structural side of this. Without a game six or seven, and with those two routes, those one-sided games, no wonder the ratings were so low. Also, markets. The big markets were on the outside looking in. Another reason why the ratings were so low. As a remedy, though, I, I stand with those who believe that MLB should start its World Series on the Tuesday and the Wednesday for games one and two, uh, take the break on Thursday, and then go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On the Sunday, yes, go up against NFL Sunday. You're going to be overshadowed, to say the least, in terms of average national numbers, but the aggregate numbers, those tuning in, those channel surfing will still be really strong. And that also appeals to advertisers. And then you finish on the Monday, sorry, on the Tuesday and Wednesday. You finish, hopefully you get to those games six and seven, but you do those away from NFL. I think if you made that move, TV ratings would be better moving forward. But again, competitiveness of the series, length of a series, who you're up against, those are all factors here. We're going to get into the National Hockey League and the NFL. NFL's global marketing this year and the NHL, a very weird couple of weeks for the front office and for Commissioner Gary Bettman, especially in his relationship with Ottawa Senators owner Michael Andlauer. That and a lot more with John Festinger joining us right here 
on the sport market, where we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market on Sportsnet 650. We've got a lot of sport business storylines coming your way this hour on the sport market. We're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Tom Manek and Tino Farah in the producer's chair. Happy to have you along for the ride. We are joined in studio by John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman to talk about a little bit more in the World Series, but also this week of weirdness in communications uh, between Michael Andlauer, the new owner of the Ottawa Senators, and Commissioner Gary Bettman and the National Hockey League. And John, first of all, just want to speak briefly about the World Series and about NFL uh, being in Frankfurt, Germany tomorrow. But when it comes to Major League Baseball, yes, the TV ratings are historically low. Uh, partly because of the lack of big markets involved in the World Series, partly because of just how hot the NFL is right now on the sport uh, landscape. A lot of things happening in the world as well, which tends to suppress some ratings. Uh, But also, you have a short series, and two of the games are one-sided routes. Uh, That's a prescription for low, low ratings. Absolutely. I I think what's really important to hold on to here is that the game the the game itself is better it's much improved by being shorter by uh by how they're dealing with with uh limits on times for pitching and just the general speeding up of the game and i think the general presentation of the game is improved so yeah bad luck things didn't go right except Thankfully, the Houston Astros lost. Um, so, you know, other, that went right. But everything else went a little wrong from a ratings perspective. Um, but th- they'll recover next year and the year after. They're building a better product. Regular season up 7 to 10%, whether you're talking television ratings, television numbers, or attendance at Major League ballparks. So the new rules are working. Uh, there's more buzz and recognition among some of the stars in the game, uh, a couple more of which were created on the strength of this World Series. I mean, Corey Seager will be perceived at a different level moving forward. Uh, he, he joins Sandy Koufax, Reggie Jackson, and Bob Gibson as the only players in MLB history to win two MVPs. And as I mentioned, I stand with those who think that you could do a lot better by starting the World Series on the Tuesday, Wednesday, taking the Thursday off, going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, taking the Monday off, and then finishing up Tuesday and Wednesday. And of course, if you don't get to game six and seven, that's that's a moot point, but that's the way you maximize audiences. Talking about maximizing audiences, NFL has never been this aggressive and never been more aggressive than the way they are now, not only mining, continuing to mine the UK through two stadiums in London, both uh, Tottenham and Wembley are hosting uh, NFL regular season games this year, but now Deutsche Bank Field, um, the home of Eintracht Frankfurt of the Bundesliga, is tomorrow hosting Dolphins versus Chiefs. Uh, I think there might be even more upside for NFL football in Germany, given the German market and conditions there right now, and also the fact that you've got much more than just London to be able to play out of. 
Well, entirely possible. The the point is that the NFL is carefully rolling out its plan for world domination, um, and it it, it intergalactic it will, domination. It, it will eventually succeed. They're going to do it slowly and carefully because they need to. So they're you know UK onto the mainland of the EU. Uh, and they'll keep expanding, and and I don't think they will ever stop. Uh, they w- they would like to challenge soccer, football, uh, the other football, uh, for world domination. And you know, let's see how the next fifty years unfolds. You know, they they're not going to stop at just UK, Germany, Mexico, and Canada. Why not? bring in Romulus and Klingon, you know, like, you know, bring bring on those uh, new sites for NFL games. Well, you don't want to play the Klingon team, though. That's a <laughs> no, real no. problem. Probably want to stay away from uh, from them. Hey, listen, I uh, want to talk about a interesting week in the world of NHL hockey. Uh, so many different things have happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you had the Pride Tape fiasco. Don't even know how the NHL would have thought that it would have ended well. It ended exactly the way I thought it would with the NHL backed into a corner and not wanting to go against common sense and and, and basically public sentiment. Uh, The Tim Hortons Heritage Classic in Edmonton at Commonwealth Stadium, a battle of Alberta but such a muted battle of Alberta because of how poorly the Flames and the Oilers have come out of the gates. Uh, You've got the uh, betting suspension to Shane Pinto, um, uh, where there's images on the internet of Pinto, of course, with the Senators' uh, uh, Betway uh, logo on their helmets, which is one of their helmet uh, sponsors. Then you've got um, Pierre Dorian wearing it in terms of the uh, Jenny uh, uh, Dadunov um, a trade that was ruled to have violated uh, NHL uh, guidelines. Uh, they didn't disclose the no trade clause there. So Michael Andlauer and the new ownership of the Senators get docked a first round pick. Uh, to me, Andlauer was refreshingly open, saying, Hey, listen. Uh, I was aware of the situation, but not of the potential outcome. And to me, if you're a real estate agent and and you're not disclosing something that comes up in inspection or whatever, you're, you're going to lose your license. The NHL doesn't look very good in this particular case because it appears they didn't do full disclosure on some impediments that could affect the value of the Ottawa Senators when Michael Andlauer was doing his due diligence. Well, there's a number of issues, but I think the the backdrop that you painted of the NHL shooting itself in the foot uh, numerous times, and this being a continuation of that, just one more example, is what's really troubling. The NHL has gotten really sloppy. Um, the, the the problem here is this is a what you're alluding to is a potential legal issue. Um, there is a duty to negotiate uh, a contract in good faith. Um, so there's argue, and that's in Canada. So there's arguably, by a Supreme Court of Canada case called Bazin and Renew, uh, an obligation on the NHL's part 
uh, to have disclosed that there that there was a penalty or there was a penalty coming, and Ann Lauer didn't have the information. It starts getting bogged down in some interesting questions of jurisdiction. Where's the lawsuit? What law applies uh, under the NHL bylaws and a whole bunch of things? Even if there isn't a legal case, there's an ethical case against the NHL, and that should be very, very troubling to them. I can't recall two tougher uh, uh, punishments that one franchise has endured in a 10-day period than a 41-game suspension. Admittedly, we're not talking about, you know, a, a star player or, or anything like that, but we're still talking about a, a, a player. And then, of course, the loss of a first-round pick, which is gold in, in, in this in today's National Hockey League. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. You know, I have no inside information. It makes you wonder what else is going on there. And is it is it really fair? Is there something that they have against Andlauer? Is there something they had against the previous owner, which is entirely possible? Um, uh, is there more of a story? Because uh, these seem very, very... Um, hard cases, if you will. The NHL, in my view, owes Michael Andlauer because he is purchased for a billion dollars of the senators, uh, takes all franchise values up to the next level. And as commissioner, where your number one job is creating value for your owners, I mean, everything else is gravy. The number one job is creating value for your owners. Treating Michael Andlauer with a little bit more respect and potentially consideration would have been the inspired thing to do if you're the NHL. Well, I am no longer surprised by Gary Bettman shooting the NHL in its own foot. Um, but I, I think it's it's terribly important that some sense of fairness prevail. Um, so this, this, whether this is a legal issue or just an ethical issue, the NHL is on the wrong side of it. John Festinger uh, joining us here from Chandler, Fogden, Lyman uh, for another uh, couple of minutes here on, this, on the sport market. Neck guards, the Adam Johnson tragedy has resulted in uh, the CHL, QMJHL, OHL, WHL, uh, mandating neck guards. NHL players are, are selectively being encouraged and, and T.J. Oshie and others are wearing it. From a legal point of view, given the Adam Johnson tragedy, what does the NHL need to consider in terms of how fast it works with the NHLPA to potentially mandate this additional layer of protection? Because even one death is too many. Well, you can start with one death is too many. The, the real issue is, is the NHL being negligent? Is it foreseeable that there will be deaths? Um, and could there be liability um, because of that? Now, you, you have to understand that the NHL player contracts um, are based on a, a, a principle, uh, forgive my Latin, valenti non fee in uria, which, which means that the players are taking on all of the risk. But the courts can still intervene to say that the NHL um, uh, has not presented the problem fairly to the players. So the NHL really has to warn the players and encourage them, in my view, 
uh, to wear neck guards. I don't know right now how much more than that they have to do. I'm not willing to say that right now they have to mandate mandatory neck guards, but they certainly need to encourage them. John, as always, thanks so much. We'll see you on the other side. John Festinger from Chandler Fogden Lyman here on The Sport Market. Last item for you. We talk about the Texas Rangers this week in our billion dollar club at $2.225 billion. You can best believe that brand value is going to go up now that the World Series champions. But ESPN putting its books out there showing that it is worth $24 billion according to Bank of America Global Research Department. You've been listening to us right in the bait, the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The 2-2. Marte, strike three called. And the Texas Rangers are World Series champions.